like so much of America and the world, our communities have grown increasingly fractured. As the profoundly wealthy and the deeply destitute attempt to share the same neighborhood, I've noticed a heartbreaking side effect. We don't see one another anymore. Hi, I'm Fran McGarry, podcast host of First Online with Fran, featuring ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the arts to make our world a richer, deeper, kinder place to live. As a proponent of the healing power of the arts, I'm committing to reaching out to listeners to slow down and pay attention, to stop and see each other. Imagine what would happen in our communities if we slowed down enough to look at one another. The war in the Middle East rages on. Innocent people, everyday people, people who pass by you in a detached cloud of passivity, mindlessly unaware of each other's existence. As I work on authoring a book about this dilemma, I became aware of how theater, particularly its playwrights, offer us opportunities to stop and see each other. That through this art, we can sit in a dark space for two hours, suspend our belief, and remind ourselves that we are all connected as human beings. My guest today, Stephanie Oaken, knew she wanted to be a playwright at the ripe old age of eight when Lin-Manuel Miranda encouraged her to submit her play to Stephen Sondheim's Young Playwrights Festival. And here she is, graduate student at NYU's program in educational theater, while also producing her debut play, A Disaster with a Cut Dad Bod, at the frigid New York's Day of the Dead Festival on October 30th and November 1st at the Under St. Mark's Theater. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for having me. You betcha. I'd like to open this conversation with how the process of playwriting is an opportunity to stop and see each other. What has been your experience and what have you witnessed as a playwright? Speak truth to the powers at play. Not just things that I think I should say or that people would like or I think people would like, but to get to the heart of a situation, to take risks and to really... Get to the heart of the situation. Good point, Stephanie. You know, what do you think the heart of the situation is for you? Uh, as a playwright? You know, I think I've always loved the theater and film. Uh, as a little girl in New York, I would go to theater with my family often. And I always knew that's what I wanted. And I have been dying to pursue playwriting as my real thing, as well as writing, directing, producing, the entertainment industry spoke to me so deeply and the arts really grounded me. So I have appreciated that a lot. What's your spin on stopping and seeing things? What have you seen 
what do you want to expose? And, you know, I, I loved what you said. It's not about what you want to hear or what I want to hear. Okay. It's about getting to the crux, the core of getting people to listen and to stop and see each other. Yeah, I think I've always wanted to connect with others. As a little girl, I was very much an empath and life happens and I had to shut that down a bit. But just recently, I'm realizing that I still feel things very, very deeply and I'm still an empath. And I can use that as a superpower now instead of something to make myself feel bad about because kindness is more essential than looking good or being what other people want you to be. Tell me a little bit more about that empath. Yeah. So an empath is someone who really feels what other people are feeling and take that on for themselves a lot. For instance, I'm I'm at NYU's educational theater program and I've just started teaching children and I love children. And I think as someone who feels things very deeply, when I see someone who's having a problem or someone is telling me about a problem they're having, I give them a break. You know, I say, oh, that could easily be me. Or, oh, I've been there. And sometimes it's to my detriment right? I think almost self-sacrificial. And I think that it's so important to have that outlook of everyone is human, everyone is worthy. But I also think it's important for me and for everyone to protect ourselves because the play that I wrote, A Disaster with a Cut Dad Bod, it's about toxic relationships. And the reason I shut down when I was a child was that, you know, my parents got divorced I have, my mother loves me very much, but I don't really speak to my father anymore. And that was very difficult for me. And unfortunately, that's not a recoverable relationship, but I took on the mess when I was young. And I would say and do things that were not bad, not harmful, but just a little weird or just a little like well-intentioned, but bizarre, out of context, confusing. And like, I'm an imaginative person. So yeah. It sounds like you found your voice through playwriting and that it was a therapeutic uh, process for you, channeling the and coping with the traumas that you face and that we all face. You know, it goes back to my original introduction. It's like, we all go through this, okay? And we need to just stop and look at each other and see that we're human beings and we're fallible and we have faults, right? Totally. I think that adults can take things much easier than children can though, right? Because when you're a child, you don't know anything else. You're building your foundation. So to protect myself, I dove into movies. I dove into playwriting when I couldn't get that connection from anywhere else. The arts is what saved me. And that's that's that. It saved me. Where do your stories come from? My stories come a lot from personal experience, from people I know, just anything that I take in. I kind of 
soak it in like a sponge, even when I thought I didn't or tried to tell myself and others that I didn't. <laughs> yeah, totally did. I, you know, a snarky teenager doesn't want to be an empath, but I totally was one anyway, <laughs> even as I was. There you go. <laughs> True, that truth comes out. You know, one of the the beautiful things that you talked about is that empath, that capacity to see and think and feel uh, for other people. Uh, this past week in the New York Times, David Brooks wrote this brilliant article. It's an op-ed piece. It said to give the gift of your attention. And it stay with me because it does have to do with what we're, what we're talking about. And he said, we live in a wonderfully diverse society, but our social skills are inadequate for the divisions that exist. We live in a brutalizing time, right? And he says, I've noticed along the way that some people are much better at seeing people than others are. In any collection of humans, there are diminishers and there are illuminators. Diminishers are so into themselves, they make others feel insignificant. They stereotype and they label. If they learn one thing about you, they proceed to make a series of assumptions about who you must be. While illuminators, okay, have a persistent curiosity about other people. They have been trained or have trained themselves in the craft of understanding others. They know how to ask the right questions at the right time so that they can see things at least a bit from another's point of view. They shine the brightness of their care on people and make them feel bigger and respected and lit up. I think all playwrights are illuminators by design. What do you think? I totally agree. And I also think it's funny that eight was the age that I decided that I wanted to be a writer and a playwright and go into the arts because eight was the same age when my parents got divorced. And at eight years old, I didn't have the capacity to tell the difference between me, myself, who I was, and a parent or an unfortunate situation. And I didn't find much forgiveness or deep understanding from most adults at my school, let alone the other kids who are also just children and processing their own traumas and their own lives, right? And we all have very different lives. So that might not always look the same for everyone. So I think because I didn't have the capacity at eight years old to differentiate myself from situations I was in, I just emotionally shut down and emotionally poured everything into my writing. And it was really a domino effect from there. You know, I was fortunate enough to be at an elite institution like Riverdale for lower, middle and high school, but there was also some ugliness there and at all elite institutions that I couldn't grapple with as a sensitive minor. And I know a lot of my former classmates feel the same. I learned young that all elite institutions are tricky places. So as excited as I was to go to grad school at NYU this year, I was also absolutely scared straight. And maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe I took on too much because I love my writing, theater and film and TV. 
like I said, I crave a significant space for that in my life. Always have, always will. That will never go away. But I also have something that I enjoy that is more, I guess, well, teaching isn't necessarily the most financially secure thing in the world, but it's more stable. You can get a job as a teacher and I can do um, my writing and my theater and filmmaking at the same time. And then once I graduate, I'll be able to support myself. So that's a big thing. Absolutely. And, you know, as someone who, as you know, uh, taught for over 30 years, uh, theater education programs, I know for a fact how it can transform lives. Yeah, I enjoy teaching because I want to connect with people, not just children. It's people of all ages, but children are the people I can be teaching at the life stage that I'm at now. Most of the time, I did hold a virtual workshop with Don't Be Strangers, an online community for people of all ages. But I think... You know, that's pretty inventive, that Don't Be Strangers. I was really glad that I got a chance to attend that. Tell me more about that. Where did that come from? Yeah, so I met Shini at a She Connects event in New York, and She Connects is run by Kate She Connects at Kate She Connects on Instagram, and she connects other creatives in New York with each other, and I just found her on Instagram and showed up to this event as I just moved into my new apartment, and I've met so many interesting wonderful women there, I think. Um, two of the people who are helping me out with my play now, my actor Bailey Stender, who was on the Ike Parley remake as Prunella, and then also my content design and marketing strategist, Juliana Woodland. She's incredible as well. And I really praise Kate for that because she finds people who really have the substance as well as the savvy to reach people and do what they do. And I really, I have really enjoyed. You know, what a smart young woman you are. I'm just so impressed with, oh my God. I mean, you're in your twenties, right? I'm 23. Oh God, gee, that's something else that people out there need to realize and something that I always believed in. And especially the people at Young Playwrights they did not discriminate against the young. They treated eight-year-olds the same way that they treated the professional playwrights that, that they were working with. And I'm wondering if that laid the foundation for you at a ripe old age of 23, you know, to put yourself out there, girl. You're, you're my hero. <laughs> Thank you, Fran. Yeah, I think Young playwrights definitely instilled the confidence in me that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. I think there are a couple of other people in my life outside of my family who filled that role for me that I so very much needed. But yeah, I think Young Playwrights was a great foundation for that. And I also, I'm impressed with Shinny and Kate because Kate and I are the same age and Shinny is 29. And, you know, there are young people out there who can hold their own and do it. Shedding light on the subject, I want to know more about the characters. You talked about the actors. Where is the source of those characters? And how do you use those characters like an illuminator would use those characters? Not as a stereotype, but as a way to shed light 
on who we are as human beings and for us to empath that process? Yeah, I think for me, what I did was I um it's so random too. It when I was writing, it wasn't a conscious decision. I was still living in Westchester at the time with family. This was in May, almost a year after I left college. And I was at the library writing because I loved to go to the Hastings Library and do free writes when there was nothing else to do. And I was just bored and in Westchester and not commuting as much as I did growing up and in college. So I was I went to the Hastings Library and I sat down on this beautiful armchair and I saw a couple of random people. One was a tall, lanky a uh, young man with glasses and the other was a petite female with honey blonde hair wearing a pale blue shirt and i don't know why but i just thought they should talk to each other and those two characters are now raul and uh honey that's great and you know you have a gift and playwrights are able to stop and see each other and bring those real people into these fictional uh, characters. How do you give depth to your characters? How do you make them real? You know, because the temptation, of course, is to, you know, detract from that and make them a stereotype. And you don't do that. I've listened to your work. Your plays are brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I think it's just because of my life philosophy that it's important to really get the chance to know people on the inside before jumping to conclusions or making snap judgments out of fear based on their mistakes. And that's very hard to do. But I think it's worth putting the effort in to add some humanity to the equation while also making sure to set healthy boundaries and protect ourselves because we are all worth protecting. So when I protect myself, I protect you too a little bit, you know? That's wonderful. What's the um, thematic thread of this play? Yeah, I think toxic relationships, gaslighting is a massive one, and mental health. Um, and those are oh, all three subjects that everyone has experience with. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Especially in these times. I mean, we're still, the effects of the pandemic are still impacting us. Matter of fact, in the uh, today's, uh, newspaper, they talked about how uh, healthcare workers are still, they're suffering from PTSD. They are not getting the kind of support that they want. Censorship is a big issue here too, and shedding light on that. Have you ever experienced that as a playwright or evolving as a playwright and told, you can't do that, you can't write about that? I think that's a frustrating thing for me to hear because I'm generally not for censorship, but I think there's a difference when you write a word that actually hurts a whole group of people without knowing it, and then you can change the word without changing the meaning of the sentence. For example, there was a line in this play that said, initially I was gypped, and I never knew that the term gypped was associated with gypsies, and that was a racial group in Europe that 
might, and some of them may have come from Egypt. I thought gypsies were like hippies and they were white old American people. So I had no idea until someone brought that to my attention. And then I changed it to robbed. And I thought, well, maybe robbed sounds better now. So now the line is I was robbed. Yeah. What are some of your hopes, uh, some outcomes producing this play? To be seen. Oh. To be seen. Yeah. And what do you want people to say, you know, when they are sitting in that dark space and willing to suspend their belief and watch what happens on the stage? Yeah. So mine is a 15 minute play and the 15 minute play after mine um, is written by Zed Hope Simon. But for my play that I'm doing, my 15 minute chunk of the night, what I want the audience to take away from my chunk is, you know, people, yep, everyone is vulnerable and everyone has something, even if they don't tell you on the outside. And that's why it's, it's an absurd, dark comedy rom-com play. I, that's how I would describe the theme. And the fact that these characters really just say exactly what they're thinking and feeling without filtering at all kind of makes that more fun and interesting because in life, we very much don't do that at all. So I, I found that fascinating. And I think the audience watching people being so transparent with each other might take some of that, take something from that uh, in their own lives too. How did you manage to assemble the the talent that you have? Oh, wow. So I found Eduardo Ramos from Take Me Out Broadway. He played Rodriguez and Take Me Out was the show that I think it was, I, I was either nominated or won a Tony. Um, with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. And I found him because I knew I wanted a tall, dark, handsome Latino man to play Raul. I have a couple of Latino male actor friends, but not neither one of them was available. So I had to start scrounging. And so I searched the internet top five Latino theater companies in New York. And I called all five of them. And I think I probably called all five of them twice. Until, <laughs> yeah. Right. So one of them pointed me toward OLA, the Hispanic Organization of Latinx Actors website. Oh, Eduardo Ramos was on there. And I just reached out to his agent from there. And then I found Colin Orton on backstage. And he's super funny, super He's very committed and he digs very deep and he's not afraid to do so. He's not afraid of anything. Man, this man is going to wear a bikini on that stage and he's going to kill it. So good for him. And then I met Bailey at a Sheikhanex event. It was a picnic in Central Park and we were all sitting around a circle and Kate was there and she said, oh, Stephanie uh, or oh, Bailey, Stephanie's a, a writer, a playwright, screenwriter. And Bailey said, oh, I'm an actress. And then I said, oh, hi, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And then I went home and I looked her up and I looked at her website and I sent it to Carol immediately. And Carol was all about it. And I loved her too. And that's how we got there. That, that's our crew. That's our cast, I should say. And when you mentioned Carol, you're talking about 
Carol Dorn, my director. Yes. There you go. Yeah, I worked with her. She's awesome. Yeah. She's the greatest. She's very present. She's very invested. And she's an older person who is investing in a younger person and using all of her experience and energies to help me and giving me all of her knowledge. And in that process, I have learned so, so, so much. You know what? You bring out another important point, Stephanie, and that is as a playwright, by virtue of what you're doing, it's a collaboration. It's, you know, you got to let your baby go, you know, by going through this process. And I know you've done this more than once. So that's the other reason why I wanted to have this chat with you, because you're never too young. You're never too old. Age has nothing to do with finding your voice and using it to help us to see each other. Take a look in that mirror. What do you see? What do you get back from it? What have the the actors, what has your team brought out that as a playwright, you didn't realize? I think I have personally have issues setting boundaries with people um, because I want this so badly. And I think that often young people go astray because we are so hungry. But I think, you know, I think it's important to take a beat, as they would say in the theater, just kind of take a beat and figure out where the other person is at, right? Use those empath powers that I have. And through this process, I think I've finally been able to do that again, which is amazing. So is there something that you learned specifically? about a character or about this, you know, bringing in a director, bringing in all of these other people. It's like, wow, I never thought about that. Yeah, I think this is the first, this is the most professional production I've ever been a part of by far. And I think seeing all of this high level, amazing talent, like Carol, like Eduardo, like Bailey, like Colin, I was intimidated. I I had a little bit of an imposter syndrome situation and, you know, I think that older people often don't take the chance on younger people because we younger people don't know who we are quite yet. And we're still in the process of learning so many things. And in this business, it is way too risky to take that chance. This is a quick turnaround business, right? So you can't really sit down and pause often. And everyone in it is vulnerable, even those who you think aren't. And there is no... I guess the professional phrase is time or money, and that is very much true. But for me, it's like my whole heart is on the plate when I'm part of this, right? So like, please don't break my heart, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, Stephanie, I am much older than you, but life's evolution is not an age. I consistently look for ways for me to re-evolve. I mean, if anybody told me that I would be a podcast host of, you know, 12,000 listeners and writing a book and being a working actor, uh, I would say, no, you're crazy. It's all about what you said, you know, taking a beat and say, okay, what's next? How can I stretch? How can I grow? But with that, as you also pointed out, is that risk of failure. Yeah. You know, thinking, oh, I'm working with all these great people, 
all those great people would be nowhere if they didn't have your play. <laughs> okay. So good. let's keep that centered, front and center there, Stephanie. And I really, uh, there's many qualities I admire about you, not only your creativity, but your capacity to step outside of those boundaries. Because the more that we step outside of those boundaries, I believe, is when we discover new things about ourselves. What have you discovered about yourself by stretching those boundaries and taking those risks? Not going into anything too much, but I think my father never allowed me to set boundaries with him. And I just haven't set enough boundaries in my life with people because of that. But I think through this process, working with people who I knew I could trust and who were let Carol Dorn gave me so much knowledge. She is just a, a wealth of information, a wealth of love, a wealth of everything you would ever want, right? Anything you would ever want in someone you work with. And I think she allowed me the space to get to know that. And she had this superior trust in me, you know, and I thank her for that incessantly. And, you know, not just Carol, but your entire cast and, and the production elements, you made strong choices. And, you know, I always go back to Andre DeShields, you know, surround yourself with people whose eyes light up when you walk into a room. And that's what you did. That's a pretty smart move, girl. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> right? Let's, you know, give ourselves a nice pat on the back. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So so that's important. So what what's next, Stephanie? What's next is we're going to get this play on the road. The show must go on. We are currently in the process of fundraising. We had to take a breather from that for a bit, but now we're focusing more in on it. And you can get a voice greeting and photo op with either Bailey or Eduardo, depending on uh, which fan base you're part of, I guess. <laughs> and depending on how much you donate. Yeah. And there's, we're going to have a raffle uh, to sell off the bikini that Colin wears on stage November 1st. After oh, the that's great. Bar. Yeah. So that's going to be so much fun. That was all Carol, by the way. That was Carol's <laughs> idea to do the raffle. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, it, I believe so that. Well, you know, she gets the work. She gets my play. You know, and it's also because of the quality of your work. Okay. I want to keep bringing it back to you, girl, because you're the star here. You know, you're the voice. You're the person that's going to make our audience have a chance to stop and see one another. And I'm going to tell you something what I see. I see a beautiful young woman who has begun a very promising career as a playwright. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much, Carol. I appreciate it beyond words. I'm Fran, not Carol. Fran, jeez. Oh my goodness. We <laughs> now, Carol, it was as if she was here. Yeah, we're both good friends. All of the information that you talked about will be on the blog. The other thing is, Stephanie, you didn't mention, besides the fundraising and the raffle and all of that, I can't physically be there, but you do mm -hmm. have that option of live streaming. Yeah, so we do have live streaming tickets available online. So it's 
$20 for one ticket, meaning one computer. And you can all sit around with your family and watch the play at home, you know, because the Saint under St. Mark's is a 45 seat theater, very tiny little theater, hot location, St. Mark's for trendy, but where we're getting most of our audience will probably be from the live streaming. And I think it's cool we have that option. All right. I wish you much success and I will be there via streaming and uh, looking forward to seeing this amazing piece of work come to life. Congratulations, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Fran. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hair Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions. <laughs>